loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking primary colors. We're talking robot appendages. We're talking Lindsay on the pole. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're also talking about a historical landmark of the first movie ever to be awarded the dreaded F Cinema score. Mm, yes. And many, many Razzies. I think this is one of the most prestigious films that we've covered on the podcast. It won eight Razzie Awards. Which apparently beat the record set by Battlefield Earth and Showgirls for the most number of Razzie Awards. And what great company to keep. Right? Absolutely. But, before we really dive into the meat of the matter, uh, we are joined by a very special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, you know him as the co-host of the hilarious podcast Gaylords of Darkness, where he charts the arcane world of horror through a queer lens with previous horror queers guest Stacey Ponder. Check out our episode on Lyle for that. Please welcome Anthony Hudson. Oh, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Ooh, so ghoulish. I'm so excited. Thank you for coming on this particular episode. Oh, listen, it was written in the stars. (laughs) This just has to happen. This movie. Oh, man. Wait, we're talking I Know Who Killed Me, everyone. (laughs) Right. I was going to say, you didn't even talk about it. You were just like, you went full in on the Razzies and the (laughs) F-Cinema score. Well, I was really trying to like withhold, like do the suspense because the movie itself doesn't have that. So I was trying to make up for it in this episode. And yet it is a a canonical, formative, perfect text. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. It is a lot of things. So if a lot of things means perfect, absolutely. (laughs) And what better film to be slotted into the fourth slot? Oh, God. Ew! Uh, Ew! (laughs) Basically, what I'm trying to say is that this film is perfect for our camp theme, which is dominating two months worth of this podcast. So, Lindsay, you done good, girl. People didn't say that back in 2007 when this came out. Well, but people are mean, okay? No. okay people no. are haters. They're bloggers and they're haters. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about this movie, but I will say that rewatching it this week, I didn't hate it. I actually think it's a very fascinating failure, but I don't even know if I want... Whatever. Okay, we'll talk about it. But, but going into 2007, so everyone, I want to take y'all on a time-traveling journey back to 2007. Ooh, everybody go to the corner, get a blanket, Trace is going to tell us a little story. (laughs) Yes. So, everyone knows, you know, we had Lindsay Lohan premiere in, like, 98 with The Parent Trap, and then she did a bunch of, like, little TV movies, like Life Size and Get a Clue, and then she broke into the theatrical world with Freaky Friday, which is an amazing movie. I'm sorry, were you actually suggesting that everyone knows about Life Size? Uh, I feel like you're overestimating Lindsay Lohan's oeuvre and her appeal. (laughs) I'm not overestimating the gays who listen to us, and they should all know that. Wait, with Tyra Banks? Not Tyra. Yeah, with Tyra. Tyra. That was Lindsay and Life Size? Yes! (laughs) (gasps) How have I missed this formative feminist text? Okay, see? So my point has now been proven. (laughs) Oh no, I've become an illustration. (laughs) I know. No, no, no. But that that was the big drama, though, because they made Life Size 2 last year, and Lindsay Lohan wasn't in it. Oh, they iced her out. Yes, they did. So yeah, so all that happens, and then she does... Oh, fuck. Sorry, hold on. I gotta, like, look at it. Because she was doing all Disney stuff. Of course, yeah. She was, like, a Disney princess. Right, without actually being a Disney princess. 
But... Oh, God. Can you imagine her doing the voice of, like, Elsa or something? <laughs> that's my Lindsay um, Lohan impression. That, that would have been, been, like, absolutely perfect in the later stages of her career. I know. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, so, so her, her first non-Disney role, though, was in Mean Girls. Um, then she went back to Disney with Herbie Fully Loaded in 05. Mm-hmm. And then... The infamous breast reduction movie. And Herbie fully loaded? Yeah, Disney artificially, like, they, they fx the size of her boobs so that they wouldn't be distracting and take, you know, like, <laughs> focus away from the car. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, is it really a wonder that she turned to drugs and alcohol in 06? <laughs> Listen, child actors and Disney, that's a harmonic convergence for pain. This is yeah. true. We also like to pretend like it, it hasn't happened with, you know, half of the high school musical cast. And mm-hmm. I think most of them have turned out okay. I mean, who knows what Lucas Graville is doing right now, but, you know. Uh, hopefully shopping for hats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, wait, wait. So, <laughs> I, I think I have the catalyst, though, for what started Lohan's downward turn. Was it Dinah? What? What is Dinah? Her mom? <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's Dina. Dina Lohan. I was thinking Dinah Shore. <laughs> that will also work. <laughs> she sent many lesbians spiraling out, at least. So. <laughs> All right. So she finishes 2005 with Herbie Fully Loaded. So she's filming Just My Luck, the movie with Chris Pine, and that gets released in May of 06, okay? Two different career trajectories, for sure. Yes. And this mm. is her first big flop and earns Lindsay Lohan her first Razzie nomination for Worst Actress. I think this is what started it. The Razzie nomination or the flop? Both. Like, this May of 2006 is all... Well, actually, I guess the Razzie, though, would have been, like, the next February, but either way. For the Chris Pine movie? Yes, for the Chris Pine movie. Okay. Because wasn't she getting all kinds of, like, DUIs at this point, too? No, not yet. Oh. So, this, yeah. So, again, May 2006. You did the whole red string here. I did. I did. Okay, good. We're going through two years, and I'm going to be as brief as possible, but it's mostly just little bullet points, so... And also, we just keep interjecting, so... This is true. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. (laughs) Okay, so May of 06 is Just My Luck released and it flops. Then June of 06, so the next month, that is A Prairie Home Companion, the Robert oh, Altman wow. movie. Oh, his yeah. last film. Yes, but she earns accolades for that, and she's actually pretty good in it. Um, I've never listened to that radio show, but I really like that movie. Sorry, did you just say accolades? What else? Did you say accolades? Accolades? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said accolades. <laughs> That's Dinah Lohan to you, Trace. <laughs> Fuck off. Dinah Lohan and her ocelot. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is when we start getting into trouble, though. So, you know, June is Prairie Home Companion, but then she's filming the Gary Marshall movie, Georgia Rule, from July and August of 06. With Ooh, Jane yeah. Fonda. With Jane Fonda and Felicity Huffman. A lot of queens. Holy cow. Oh. Yeah. Now, y'all, we're going to get into this later when it gets released, and I'll tell y'all about it, but I actually like that movie, but whole oh, fuck, I forgot about a lot of it. But anyway, so during filming of Georgia Rules, so again, this is the summer of 06, she is hospitalized. Her representative is saying she was overheated and dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Yes, classic. Yes, but then the studio executive, James G. Robinson, made an open public letter that called Lohan irresponsible and unprofessional. He mentioned various late arrivals and absences from the set and said that we are well aware of your ongoing all-night heavy partying is the real reason for your so-called exhaustion. So, there's that. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. November that year, flash forward, Bobby is released, the ensemble Emilio Estevez film about the Bobby Kennedy shooting. She's nominated for a SAG Award for that movie, though, despite the film's middling reception. Who did she play in that? Was she Robert Kennedy? (laughs) 
She has the voice for it, right? Yeah. She was the gun. Oh, no. no. <laughs> she, she played Elijah Wood's wife in that movie, or fiancé or something. Oh. An Elijah Wood connection, trade. I know my masturbatory fantasy is coming to life. Oh, my God, thank you. Like, nobody ever talks about him being hot, I feel oh. like. He was like my sexual awakening in the faculty when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. And ever since. I know. I know. I know. (laughs) I've talked about my Elijah Wood boner enough, but I'm going to reiterate it just in case he happens to ever listen to one of these fucking episodes. He'll know. You live in the same city as him. I know. stalk him and be done with it. (laughs) Well, this episode's actually getting released after Fantastic Fest, Joe, so we both might have already met him by this point. You never know. God. As long as he doesn't have the mustache, I'm fine with it. (laughs) okay so that's november and then sometime around this same time that when bobby's released lohan is filming chapter 27 the one about the john lennon shooting with jared leto what that's a thing that happened that yes fucking does she play yoko ono (laughs) no she's the gun oh again god she's been typecast already i haven't seen this but um but it didn't get released until 08 because it couldn't get a distributor yeah it's one of those, like, Jared Leto vanity projects, I believe. Oh, God. Yeah. Because he, like, gained a bunch of weight for it. It was, like, a Christian Bale situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what? Yeah. He went from a twig to a stick? No. no he, the, the poster is literally fat. his fat face. Oh, yeah, really? he is orca orca fat. <laughs> oh, my God. He's a blackfish. Yeah. It's, yes. He, he is the blackfish. That's correct. Oh. So, while this is going on. So, so, okay. So, she films that, then jumps right into I Know Who Killed Me. This is from December of 06 to March of 07. Which, y'all, I didn't put this together when I was doing this. The movie finished filming in March of 07, and it was released in July of 07. Wow. Jesus. Right? I wonder the editing doesn't make any sense. I know. <laughs> yes, that Ritalin editing. Yes. <laughs> so, it starts in December of 06. In January of 07, production is automatically put on hold when Lohan underwent appendix surgery. It was then delayed longer when the incision was infected and the filmmakers were waiting on doctor's approval for Lohan to continue working. Now, during all of this, Lohan admits herself to the Wonderland Center Rehabilitation Rehabilitation Facility for a 30-day stay. Now, can we take a pause just to talk about that name? The Wonderland? <laughs> the Wonderland. Like, come on. It sounds like you're giving out the drugs for free. Come into Wonderland. It's, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Either that or Shonda Rhimes is running it, right? That's how it works. <laughs> I want to go there. Oh my god. <laughs> Shonda's rehabilitation clinic. <laughs> the, like, Catherine Heigl is sitting there in the corner just like... Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, Carrie Washington <laughs> just slaps you. <laughs> <laughs> she brings like a big Pinot glass out and she's like, just throws it in your face and yeah. jabs you in the neck with it. <laughs> yeah. And then Ellen Pompey walks through and she's like, Ugh, I'm a feminist. I'm not cleaning this shit up. <laughs> So yeah, but while she's in the rehabilitation center, she does shoot nights on the film. So they let, they let her out at night. I guess they release her into the wild when it turns dark. And <gasps> Wait, she... I thought she filmed days and she had to be back at the center at night. Oh, sorry. You're right. She, conti- <laughs> she continues shooting the film, <laughs> returning to the facility at night. But then most of this movie takes place at night. So did they like black out the streets? It's all day tonight, baby. <laughs> Have you seen the film? It's all color corrected. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's why everything was blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even a creative choice. Because, no, the director was necessity. like, I was inspired by De Palma. And I'm like, no, you were just <laughs> hiding up some fuck-ups, but okay. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Although I do like your idea better. It's like Lindsay Lohan out trapezing with, like, possums <laughs> on the set being like, okay, it's almost done. I got to go back to the <laughs> Shondalime Rehab Center. 
I just, uh, okay. So a month after this rap shooting, she is, uh, yeah. She's supposed to begin filming on a movie called Edge of Love, but she was replaced with the director citing insurance reasons and that Lohan later explained that she was going through a bad time. Basically, sure. Yeah, she was a mess. Yeah. So then May of 2007, this is two months before I Know Who Killed Me was released, that's when Georgia Rule was released. Um, it was panned. It flopped. It was referred to as Lohan's Gili and also a sitcom about sexual abuse because, lo and behold, that movie is a comedy with Mormons and Carrie Elwes molesting Lindsay Lohan as a 14-year-old. What? Yeah. In a Gary Marshall movie? Gary Marshall movie. It is so fucked. I, I was reading the plot, like, before when I was doing my research, and I was like, fuck, I totally forgot about this part of the movie, which is literally the entire climax. Wow. It's wow. like a, it's like his yentl. Yep. <laughs> God. I would recommend watching it, but it's not good. So anyway, this so same wait, month, so you're still recommending it then? <laughs> because no, because the fact that it exists is just bizarre. It's one of those ones where you you're watching, and you're like, how did like how did this get made? How did this get made? So basically, what you're saying is it's the movie we're talking about today, then. <laughs> right. So when that movie gets released, though, she gets her first DUI. This is May of '07. Then in July of '07, so a couple weeks before I Know Who Killed Me is released, she gets another DUI. And she withdraws from appearances on The Tonight Show. She can't do any publicity. Then this comes out July 27th of 07. The next month in August, she pleads guilty to a misdemeanor cocaine use and to those DUIs. She was sentenced to an alcohol education program, community service, one day in jail, and was given three years probation. Aw, hmm. white girls. Mm. Yes. And then she closes out 2007 uh, in November, serving an 84-minute sentence in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was back in the day and age where it was like, which white starlet who's super famous is going to get the shortest amount of time in jail? I think yeah. it was either her or Bear Silk. Mm, there's like a betting pool. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, wasn't it Kim Kardashian? But that was her 72-hour wedding, not jail time. <laughs> I was getting really confused by that. You know, heteronorm heteronormativity, it's like jail, so what's the difference? It's true. It's a lifetime sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's our little time capsule of where we are when this movie comes out. That's wild. So many developments. Honestly, when I was reading it, I was like, I feel genuinely bad for her. Yeah. You know, because people are always like, people. Oh, I don't sympathize with her because she keeps doing this to herself. And I'm like, yeah, but addiction is a disease. And she's clearly troubled. Yeah. Well, and like I think a lot of Hollywood people, particularly starlets, particularly former child actors... They're always surrounded by people who are total enablers. So mm -hmm. she was probably like, oh, I'm not doing too well. And they were like, oh, here, take a bath in champagne with some Percocets. You'll be fine. Yeah, when you're raised by a mega corporation, I'm sure that doesn't <laughs> set you up for the best success in life. And Disney takes no responsibility. They're just like, Marvel movies, yay. Lindsay who? I don't know. Ugh. Yeah, and Dinah's like, please hire my daughter. She's got talent. Girl, I really think it's Dinah Lohan. I do not I think this, it's Dinah Lohan. I love this Dinah fantasy, though, that you're <laughs> keeping it's alive. It's 100% Dinah. I'm saying it for comic effect. Oh, okay. I, okay, I, I keep thinking you're going to say Dynasty, and I'm like, what, what does Dynasty have to do with this? But Oh my god, a Lindsay Lohan-fronted reboot. <laughs> Listen, Dynasty. bring it back. Now is the time. Wait, didn't they already reboot Dynasty? Isn't yes, it on the CW? it's still currently airing. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> okay, so this movie, yeah, July 27th, 07, released by TriStar Pictures, which I forgot existed in 2007. I was gonna say, are they even still around? I mean, they're a division of Sony Columbia Pictures, but I don't think, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go on record as saying anything, because I could be wrong. But, right. um... Well, we all know that Taco Bell won that war anyway, so there's only one left. 
No? No demolition man jokes? I don't get that joke at all. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> What's the Never joke? Mind. <laughs> I, I, I'm as a Taco Bell stan. I, I want to unpack this. <laughs> so in Demolition Man, there's a joke that the franchise wars were won by Taco Bell, so all restaurants uh. are now Taco Bell. So I was making a joke that all of these companies that have gone under because now we basically just live in like what is it? Sony and Disney are now the only yeah remaining? super monopoly. Yeah, so it's like they won the Taco Bell franchise. Wars. You guys, my husband just texted me and goes, you're right. It's pronounced Dina. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Okay, so yeah, I'm made for a budget of $12 million with a runtime of 105 minutes. This movie did not do very well when it was released. <gasps> what? Now, here's the thing. Had the publicity around Lohan like not been a thing now i'm not saying the reception like critically would have been better although it might have been to be honest i think but so do you think that the movie would have done better box office wise uh this is interesting right because the the thing that came out very clearly in your overview of her career is that this was her first quote-unquote adult starring role well technically the molestation movie by gary marshall was then this came out but yes that's the actual title <laughs> My memories are very hazy about Georgia Rule, but I don't remember them marketing it as a serious drama, though, did they? No, they marketed it as a lighthearted comedy, which for the first half, it kind of is, despite being also about alcoholism and addiction. <laughs> right. Hmm. Which is, unfortunately, very fitting. Mm-hmm. I very firmly remember the marketing campaign for this, which was like sexy Lohan on the pole. So yeah. the film was deliberately marketed as, you know, this is her shedding her Disney skin. And if you read any of the reviews, they A, all talk about how she's totally fucking terrible in it. And they bring up a lot of the things that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. But then they also say like, this is her attempt to transition away from her Disney roots. So I don't think that people were taking her seriously but it's interesting that there weren't more people who decided to make the effort to go out to the theater and see what grown-up Lindsay lohan looks like well that was my thing too like i was just i I didn't see this until the next summer like someone brought it to like a movie night with like i don't know they just said you have to watch this and i was like what (laughs) but but yeah i mean it opened at number nine with three and a half million dollars again on that 12 million dollar budget it went on to grow seven and a half million domestically for a worldwide total of uh, 9.7 million dollars. Ooh, yeah, worldwide. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then a Rotten Tomatoes score of 9% with an mm. average score of 2.17 out of 10. Yeah. That's basically all one-star reviews. People were being deliberately mean. Yeah, that's just some mean girls right there. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> we made it 20 minutes in until we got to a mean girls joke. That's fantastic. Uh so, yeah, th- no one likes this movie. But when I posted that I was watching this the other day, a lot of people were commenting that they liked it too. Yeah, I think it's had a bit of a, not a renaissance per se, like people are not talking about this the way that they now talk about Jennifer's Jennifer's body. body. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I do think that people feel it was unfairly maligned. I don't think people think it's a good movie, but I do think that people think it's entertaining, which is Mm -hmm. a distinction. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's that thing where, like, you know, horror was getting a little... This was kind of the extreme era for horror, like 2007. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of a response to, like, the sort of teeny boppy, bopper horror that came out of, like, you know, Scream and Urban Legend and that kind of era. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's just those two things where this is a, a horror movie that isn't really a horror movie. 
Yep. Um, also starring, like, a really popular and really hated woman was, like, a huge part of it. Well, I think also, because, I mean, I don't know if I would call this a torture porn movie, but it is coming at the, the dying breaths of the torture porn, like, boom. Yeah, when people are really not interested in watching those kinds of films anymore. Because this mm-hmm. is the same year that Captivity came out. I was going to say, yeah, Captivity came yeah. out, like, I want to say two months before this, and I saw that in theaters. But yeah, like, yeah, people just... And I was shocked a little bit i mean it's not like a gory movie but man that dry ice bit with the skin coming off is mm. disgusting that was gross because i thought this was i i just watching it again i was always under the assumption this was like pg-13 <laughs> and i forgot about those sequences yeah yeah because it's rated r i think for that torture scene and then <laughs> i think sexuality is one of the other reasons yeah <laughs> i brought my blu-ray copy and i'm gonna tell y'all what it's rated r for okay. it's rated r for gr- grisly violence including torture and disturbing gory images and for sexuality nudity and language i mean they say mm. fuck more than twice so that's an automatic r rating Oh, the nudity is the other women, right? Because, yeah, not her alert, she got a no nudity clause in this, and a lot of people brought that up in the reviews as well. Mm-hmm. Where them titties at? You're like, do you know what the nudity clause is? Like, It's the same thing with uh, Jessica Alba in Sin City, where it's like a little less yeah. stripper and a little more like excitable western themed go-go. Yeah. Alba's character is nude in that movie, but it's her face on a body double. But it's not during right. her strip scenes. It's like a shower. It's like a classy shower scene yeah. where she's just like standing up against the wall. I'm sorry. Did you just say a classy shower scene? I mean, meaning it's not like <laughs> it doesn't feel exploitative. It, it, it's like a very pretty tableau of a new Jessica Alba. Right. Rank it on a scale of sexy shower to Sharon Stone being fucked up against a column. Well, I was going to compare it to the shower scene that opens dressed to kill. Um. <laughs> Awkward silence. (laughs) (laughs) Shall I talk about what this film is about? Yes, what the fuck is it? Good luck. I'm interested to see what this plot synopsis is. Does anyone know? Yeah, we we might have to fill in some gaps. And also, I assume that we'll also talk about the alternate opening and alternate ending. Oh, yes. Yeah, which the alternate ending, though, is just an extended ending. Like, it's not alternate. Like, it doesn't replace anything that's in the actual ending. Oh. Well, okay, we'll get there in a moment. Yeah, we'll go there. Okay. High school student Aubrey Fleming, Lindsay Lohan, is a slacker pianist and aspiring novelist writing a shitty story called Dakota. There's a boy at school, Jared, Brian Garotti? I say Jaredy, but snooze on him. Sure, but so pretty to look at. Mm. He's okay. Hey. I've got a thing for bland blonde boys, okay? <laughs> I was more into the gardener who is in there for no discernible reason. Yeah, we're coming up on him. Yeah. So Jared, who has a crush on her, but she's more content to cock tease the rough trade carpenter working on her middle class house. <laughs> After a big football game, Aubrey disappears in a crowd, the latest victim of a serial killer targeting young women around town. Fade to blue. Her parents, Susan, Julia Ormond, and Daniel, Neil McDonough, making his second appearance on the podcast. Oh, right. Ravenous. <laughs> yeah. Who have not been seen or heard from before now are very worried. Aubrey is tortured. Her hand is held under dry ice and her fingers are removed with a serrated blue knife. After 17 days, she is eventually discovered alive, though her right hand and... No, sorry. Yes. 
her right hand and right foot. Like, are get indicated. it right, Joe. The movie cares. It's very important. <laughs> These are focal things. Fade to red. When she awakens, Aubrey only responds to the name Dakota Moss, an exotic dancer raised by a dead crack addict. <laughs> I feel like this could be a Stefan skit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the club. This movie's got everything. <laughs> uh, okay. Susan attempts to bond with her, but Dakota is resistant, despite having similar memories to Aubrey's childhood. Agents Lazarus, Spencer Garrett, and Bascomi, Garcelle Beauvais, as well as her shrink, Dr. Jameson, Gregory Itzen, unpack her past including her job working the pole at Fat Tina, Bonnie Aaron's strip club, and her memories of a mysterious teleporting blue man who stalked her. The FBI work their string murder board theories. Is she delusional? Is she simply withholding? Is Dakota an alter ego created by Aubrey? Who cares? Because she's got a fancy new robot arm and prosthetic leg. Yes. <laughs> yes. That she keeps forgetting to charge. Yeah. <laughs> After the doctor specifically said, don't forget to charge it. Yeah, but it's okay because it comes of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Fade to flashing police lights as Dakota comes home. In order to confirm that she is not Aubrey, Dakota porks Jared as Susan listens downstairs and scrubs. One of the most tonally off, weird, out of place sex scenes I think I've ever seen in a film. Is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be uncomfortable? I think it's supposed to be the only funny scene in the film. No, 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 because even after that, when he's going outside trying to distract the cops by asking them for condoms, and I'll touch on this a little bit later, but the music in this movie doesn't match the movie. No, the music sequence there is so weird. It's bad. I do love that Jared is louder during sex than she is. And that's what the mom (laughs) is hearing. That's great. (laughs) It's... Oh, I'm also going to go on record and say I think Julia Ormond delivers a very bad performance in this movie. Yeah. Shock she's in this. Totally tragic. Whenever she shows up, you're like... Oh, Julia, no. Baby girl, what happened to your career? (laughs) She reminds me of Madeline Stowe. Like, I kept picturing Victoria Grayson from Revenge every time she was on screen. Oh, yeah. Would have been better. Yeah, for sure. It is eventually revealed that Dakota suffered sympathetic wounds during Aubrey's torture. Using AskMe.com and a video by conspiracy theorist Art Bell, Dakota (laughs) deduces that the girls have telepathic stigmata because they are... Dum, dum, dum! Twins separated at birth. Despite refuting this claim, Daniel eventually reveals that he paid off Dakota's crack addict mother for a child. Armed with this knowledge, but no juice in her prosthetic leg, Dakota goes off in search of Aubrey, who is being buried alive in a blue glass coffin. Like, I can't even believe that I'm reading this out loud. (laughs) Fade to blue. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up! I didn't even notice the fade. These are actually, these are real, like, fades? Yeah, like, they're full on instead of fade to blacks. And I think there's Uh. actually one that opens the film when she's uh, stripping. I think it fades to red before Aubrey begins reading her story. So I just want to point, I want to point out that I took the most amount of notes in this movie than I have for any other movie that we've covered on this podcast. It's like a full two pages. I saw that fool's Aaron and I was just like, no dude, it's just literally like there's blue in every fucking scene. Anthony, I don't, I I don't know if you saw this. So in my notes, whatever I made note of anything in the film that was blue or red, but in my notes, I made them like blue and red. So you could stick the, 
But anyway, but my, my first note of this film is just close up on water. Ooh, neon stripper sign with a leg missing. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe that's foreshadowing. They planted that there so you could figure out the twist. Oh, what filmmaking. twist you ask? Who fucking knows? <laughs> filmmaking <laughs> you can learn so much about the craft from this movie you can yeah, you the can craft. all right joe take us home all right using a medal from the other victim's grave dakota identifies the killer as piano teacher douglas norquist thomas tofel she and daniel go to the house where dakota spots a possum wait also- you forgot yes. the titular line where she says i know who killed me but it doesn't make any sense because, because she- she's not dead <laughs> She's not talking about herself. Listen, the yeah. best part of any movie is when they say the title. Like, Annihilation. <laughs> when Jennifer Jason Lee says Annihilation, then explodes yeah. into pixels. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, uh, except that's a legitimately good movie. <laughs> and it makes more sense than this one. Yes. Which is Undoubtedly so. Listen, yeah. it doesn't have Lindsay Lohan, so. Also it's true. true. Uh, Lindsay Lohan playing the Jennifer Jason Lee role in Annihilation? No, 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 no. She's playing the Natalie Portman role. No, she's playing the bear. No, she's playing <laughs> the gator. Yeah. <laughs> she just plays, like, wait, all of the characters. Wait. It's an all-Lindsay cut of Annihilation. No, yeah. they could have done that because of the whole, like, I mean, there's not, not a lot of, there's not, not Oh my god, this is not an Annihilation episode. But yeah, because of like, the whole thing about how, oh, like, things merging together, it could have been creatures just merged with Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, the bear is just screaming Katie Heron lines the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> is it Katie or Caddy? Dinah? Oh Dinah? They do say Katie, but it's spelled Caddy. With, yeah. With one no, D. With one D. With one D, yeah. But but Janice Ian calls her Caddy because she's, you know, yeah. subversive. Mm-hmm. Right. And also because she's catty. Mm-hmm. Think uh, about it. Okay. Dakota. Dakota. <laughs> filmmaking. Screenwriting. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're 30 minutes in. I know, I know, I know. With I know, the know. plot. <laughs> Girl. Dakota spots a possum, sauce off Norquist's hand, <laughs> wades through a hall of prosthetic limbs, happens upon Daniel's body, and gets smacked in the face with a fake arm. She eventually stabs Norquist in both the gut and the neck, and with her leg nearly out of power, Dakota digs up Aubrey in the woods behind the house. The estranged twins then canoodle next to the open grave. The end. (sighs) Okay. Filmmaking! Filmmaking! (laughs) Where... Where do y'all want to start? What do, what do y'all want to talk about first? That possum was so adorable. I want the right? record to reflect that. I love that possum. <laughs> I wrote adorable possum in my notes. I'm not even shitting you. It's so cute because it's just like... <laughs> I love He's it. basically like, hey, I'm just hanging out outside this random piano teacher slash serial killer's house in this like little jar. What's up? Listen, it's got cheap rent. It's a good Airbnb. Well, and it's in this, it's in this, like, little, like, children's race car, like, Pinewood Derby type thing. Like, it's so cute. Wait, do you think they took it off the set of Herbie? Oh, my God. (laughs) That was the model car they used for Herbie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the possum was the one, like, like, reenacting Herbie's motions. Yeah, Yeah, the (laughs) possum just came with the car. It was living in it. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so there is... 
an alternate ending to this film. Which now, makes... Trace, you said that it's not different, but I've heard from people that the original ending was that this is all the Dakota story and that well, none of it actually yeah. happened. Yeah. No, th- th- that is correct. But the thing is, I thought it was like replacing like part of the climax, but no. So when you start the alternate ending on the Blu-ray, it just it goes from, you know, her and like cuddling with Aubrey in the grave and, you know, the camera pans away and then it just cuts to Aubrey reading her, like, uh, typing her story out on her laptop, and she finishes like, like her novel or whatever the fuck it is, and then she just smiles at the computer and is like, "I'm satisfied with this," and then cut to credits. It's like less than a minute. It's like a, it's like a one minute extended little sequence. Oh, weird, because that's different than the alternate ending I saw on my DVD that I do own, uh, but what? I don't have the Blu-ray. Yeah, the DVD ending, it just starts with her sitting at the computer, type, 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 and finishing the Dakota story, and then yeah. the, the closet door opens, and the killer oh. is standing in the closet behind her, and the cat runs out. Okay, wait, wait, wait. That, that, that did happen in mine, too. But I thought the door just... I was a little drunk when I finished this movie. But I thought the door just opened, but I didn't see the killer in there. Did you see the pussy? There wasn't a possum. I'll tell you <laughs> No, you much. said the hairless cat. The I've never seen a pussy in real life. <laughs> So yeah, it's probably the same. I'm just misremembering it. But no, but, but either way, it doesn't replace anything. It's just tacked on to the ending that already exists. But it just doesn't make any sense. No, no, it doesn't. I no, was doesn't. so perplexed at that ending. Yeah. I mean, I would also argue that the ending that we have doesn't make a lot of sense. No. I also don't know why she cares about I mean, I guess, oh, it's her twin, like whatever, long lost twin. No, it's because if the if Aubrey dies, she will die. Because everything that happens to Aubrey happens to her. And because she knows who kills her. Yeah. Right. This is this is like Hedwig, man. It's a story of rejoining with your other half. She felt mm-hmm. like half a person with half a soul, man. Well, I mean, when that finger starts to go in the shower, it kind of looks like a penis. So yeah, I'm seeing that Hedwig connection. Oh yeah, I was thinking it was like a little hot dog bun. Oh yeah. <laughs> so on a structural question though, and this is just like a random thing, but so. I think the film, or maybe at least the mystery, would have worked better for me had they not shown Aubrey getting tortured, because I think they they, they want to treat the twin thing as a twist, but because they keep flashing back to Aubrey tied up and getting tortured, it doesn't really work for me? Yeah, I was unsure. Is it supposed to read as a flashback for Dakota? I think it's supposed to, because I think the whole time we're supposed to think that she has amnesia, but... I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this movie knows what it wants to do. And I don't know if that's the director's fault or if that's the screenwriter's fault. I mean, oh, I'm going to go with screenwriter both. for sure. Well, the screenwriter... Who you have not mentioned, by the way. Jeff Hammond. And I haven't mentioned it because he's literally done nothing. This is the only movie he's written. So he came in with a bang and then this killed his career immediately. Could you imagine when he's at 7-Eleven and they're like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a writer. Oh, what'd you write? <laughs> And he just points to the DVD, like the seven ninety nine Blu-ray yeah. of I Know Who Killed Me that's like next to like the beef jerky aisle. And... Yeah, and the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know if he wrote this at a very young age, like if he wrote this as a high school assignment and then... And that's why he... Aubrey's reading it in her... Co- is, it, is No, she's in high school. Cause she's, she's underage. She's in junior college. No, because when... Because no, she's the... in high school. The sign says junior college at the phone. Oh, no, no, no. I, I think you're right there, no, because I was thinking, well, because they make that, that the point where Fat Tina, who, I didn't know that was her name, but she is first billed in the in, in, in yes. credits. Yes, Bonnie Aarons. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because they make a point about how she's underage, but I forgot, I guess, in the strip club, underage is under 21. But can't mm-hmm. you be 18 and work in a strip club? Not if they're serving alcohol. 
No, 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 because no, you can serve alcohol at a restaurant if you're 18. Listen, it's a different law of physics in the I Know Who Killed Me universe. Apparently right? so. I mean, well, it's a very jumbled narrative, and I didn't even put this together until, again, I was, like, reading people's thoughts on it. But I think director Chris Siverston, Siverston, there's no L there, who, um, the only really thing he's done is, um, the Jack Ketchum adaptation, The Lost, and he also co-directed All Cheerleaders Die with, um, oh. Lucky McKee. Future installment. Yes, it's definitely on our list. But, like, I think he's trying to do a giallo? That's what some people have speculated. Because we've oh, got Black Club, colors. we've got the colors, we've got the serial killer. The, the got... ki- yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying the killer that's like kind of out of nowhere, even though all the girls that are dying, I'm assuming, are his students. So you think that they would have made that connection, <laughs> like the cops would have figured that out earlier. That's what I was thinking the whole time. The cops would have figured this out. Also, why didn't they call the cops when they were going to the killer's house? At oh, the end? Yeah, they never do that. But, I mean, <laughs> also, if we want to take a side detour... These cops are fucking stupid. Oh, they're useless. This is an indictment of the prison industrial complex. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. I think my biggest thing, and maybe y'all correct me if I'm wrong, when they just show her the crime scene photos when she's in the hospital, is that something they do? Uh, And then they leave them with her, so she just has them on her bedside. Yeah, and then Susan flips the fuck out. You can't be some of these da-da-da-da! This is right after, though, when she has that teddy where she's like, This is Mr. Gervis! What a stellar line delivery. (laughs) I think that's one of the two lines that come out that people constantly reference when they classify this film as camp, is the Mr. Jervis line. And then that line that the weird homeless kid utters to Lindsay Lohan when she's on the bus, where it's like... Sometimes people get cut or something. Yeah, sometimes people get cut. That's just (sighs) life. And then that becomes like a major motif. I mean, I have it as a tattoo on my lower back instead of Oh, yeah, your tramp stamp. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's that really weird dream sequence she has, though, where his chest tattoo opens up with an eyeball, and it's it's Mm -hmm. just, it's so, I'm fascinated by this movie. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It's so bizarre, and I kind of love it. I have to admit it. I think I love this movie. (laughs) You know? It's terrible, and I love it. Well, it's not boring, and I I feel like the first, when I watched it, you know, 10, (laughs) 11 years ago, no, 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 I I I remember thinking it was boring. But honestly, and maybe it's because I was drinking, but watching it, I was very enthralled in what I was watching, both from an acting standpoint and from a filmmaking exclamation point filmmaking, standpoint. Filmmaking! <laughs> Are you sure that you weren't just put under hypnosis from the red and the blue? I mean, okay, oh. wh- why don't we talk about that? Does the use of color come across as pretentious or genuine to you two? Da Palma! <laughs> you know, not even either it just comes across as not it just ham-fisted yeah I, I will applaud the production design whoever the fuck did it like i think it the movie looks pretty i think uh... I, fucking <laughs> fine argue with me <laughs> no i mean i think the film looks murky as fuck in a lot of places and it doesn't look pristine or clean it's uh but wouldn't you argue that's because it's about a like a crackhead daughter a stripper like like it, it's matching her character uh, I mean, a I mean, I'm, couple I'm of other, other people have said that, you know, like some people say, oh, it's Jello. Some people say, oh, it's like Grindhouse, which is why all of Dakota scenes are so mm. grimy and greasy and all mm-hmm. the characters look ill-kempt and all that. 
which sure okay whatever but so much of this film reminds me of when i was an aspiring film student and i was like search for the meaning in every frame like everything has been deliberately placed there it's very strategic it all means something and i feel like this is that ideology taken to the absolute fucking max like mm. how much blue can we load into this godforsaken movie according like, to my notes a lot. everywhere <laughs> and why why is there so much blue if that's supposed to represent aubrey but the whole movie focuses on dakota who's red that was my thing too so again i made notes of like when red stuff showed up but it wasn't a lot but if you'll notice and i think i think this is kind of how the movie tries to play it when People think she's Aubrey. Like, even though it is Dakota, the movie stays blue. But when shades of, like, Dakota start coming out, like, when she's like, no, I am Dakota, that's when red starts coming back in. Mm, Like that red condom and the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So speaking to the multiplicity of personae. mm. (laughs) Uh, Random factoid, though, this is the second movie of 2007 to open up with a stripper sequence who, uh, and a stripper who eventually loses her leg. What I'm was sorry, the other what? One? Oh, Planet Terror. Planet Terror. Oh my god! Came out three months before this. <laughs> oh my god, it's like the same opening. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, if you want to talk about a better Grindhouse film, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. But that one also flopped. So clearly, Legless Strippers, people didn't want to go see that in 2007. Wow, Which really, people need to stop yucking other people's amputee stripper <laughs> yum, okay? Thank you. <sighs> I have to say, I really respect her dancing methodology as the world's most <laughs> apathetic exotic dancer. <laughs> How she just slides down a pole in slow motion in every dance sequence. <laughs> and she apparently took classes before filming started, and I guess when she went to rehab, she forgot what she learned. But I've been to a strip club, and I have seen, I've seen some lazy strippers. I've seen some very talented strippers. Oh, they do the flips and the spins and the <sighs> ups and downs. Uh, like walking down the pole as if they're like going downstairs. It's beautiful work, but it's good work if you can get it. Yeah, yeah. But what is this brilliance? <laughs> <laughs> Much like our queen Annabelle, who just lays there and does nothing, so does Dakota <laughs> Moss. And yet the men all give her money and cigarettes. I respect that. Exactly. I mean, she's not working hard for it. She's hardly working and still earning a living wage. Yeah, she's making that coin. Which begs the question, why is she so sad all the time then? Because she's got a crack at a dead mom. Wait, also, logic question. Oh, no. Just, no. (laughs) Shunt into the back. I'm sorry. I'm going back to this this stigmata (laughs) twist. Like, clearly Aubrey has been hurt in her life at one point, right? And Dakota has been hurt in her life at one point, right? Probably more than one point. Yeah, when they had their bathing suits on when they were little kids. Yeah, like... It was like, oh, I've got a mysterious wedgie. Where did that come from? (laughs) Got sand in the cooch. Where did that come from? I like the idea. I like the idea of this movie. It's just, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Wouldn't it be... And and again, like, it's not our job to fix the fucking movies. Although, you may have to think of that question for later. Oh, fuck. Wouldn't it have made more sense to say something like, carry the shit up and be like, on the onset of puberty, all of a sudden, I started to get mysterious wounds or something. Like, you could tie it in and say it happened organically at a later age, and that's why it didn't occur to her earlier that she might be a fucking twing with its stigmata. Mm -hmm. (sighs) And yet, simultaneously, is there anything more magical then Lindsay Lohan hanging out in a strip club, suddenly her finger falls off, and then her arm falls off, and then her leg falls off. (laughs) 
What if she was at the grocery store and that had happened? I would want to see that. I'm in awe of it. Would have been a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just her in the grocery store with limbs falling off. I think that might be the... Not the only problem with this movie, but it, it's a problem is it? it is very campy, but I, I just don't... I don't know what this movie thinks it is or what it wants to be. I don't yeah. understand that. It thinks it's a sexy thriller. I mean, this is this is a recurring theme that we're exploring through our two months of camp. You know, do films become camp classics? Do they aspire, aspire. to be? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's very easy to look at this one and say, oh, wow, there's a lot of campy elements. But I'm pretty sure, like, when they did the Mr. Jervis line, they weren't like, oh, this will get a ton of laughs in the theater. Yeah, it's kind of like the Met Gala. I don't think of it <laughs> like all of those outfits. I don't actually consider them camp. But there is something else that speaks to me in its inability to be anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is a little bizarre. Trace doesn't know fashion, so he's got nothing to contribute. No, 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 no. But but, but I remember seeing the pictures, though, of the Met Gala, and I was like, I don't really have a clear 100% idea of what camp is. But I feel like it's because they were all afraid to look bad that they didn't go full camp. Well, and they were straight people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Celine Dion, I mean, she's a living clown. She pulled it off perfectly. <laughs> she did. Nobody else. She's also Canadian. Ugh, fuck me. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, maybe she's like it's your because pope. she's got a better sense of humor. So, yeah. you know what? Celine Dion as Susan. Oh. Think about it. Oh. I would be into that. with her, But she has to have her accent. She can't do an American accent. Yeah. Scrub all night <laughs> to wash out the sands of my daughter having sex. Okay, wait, wait. So <laughs> let, let, let's talk about the acting in this movie. Yeah. I will confess, I think that Lohan as Dakota is actually pretty good. I don't think Lohan as Aubrey is very good. It's because she's washed away the Disney princess. So Aubrey is like, bah. Whereas Dakota gets to say classic lines like, hang on one sec, I've got it here, I've got it here. Do I look like I'm in a fucking coma to you? (laughs) (laughs) That's right after the Mr. Jervis scene. It is. It's good. I liked her as both. I think what's interesting to me about the acting in this film, I think it kind of speaks to the ineptitude of the director. Uh, Yes, absolutely. Because, like, the, the performance from Julia Ormond kind of sells how bad everyone is in this film. And yet, Lindsay is still very watchable in it. So she is relying on some raw something that she's bringing to the part that the director just can't seem to get out of anybody else. So then do we think that Lohan was taking it seriously? But then, like, he told Ormond, like, hey, by the way, we're going to go funny for all of your scenes. And she was like, okay. I mean, I haven't looked at the script, but just from what we see on screen, neither one of these parents have anything to do. Like, Julia Armand and Neil McDonough are both good actors. Gregory Ibsen, the guy who plays the psychiatrist, like, he's magnificent as a villain on a season of 24. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> the adults in this movie are all really good actors, but I feel like when you look at what they have to work with, they're like, this is just word salad. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing here for us to play with. Yeah, I think it comes down to that script and then just a director that doesn't know how to execute it. Like, Bonnie Ahrens is the only person that completely sells her role, <laughs> I think, in this movie. Can we talk about the scene where Dakota has lost her finger and she's just leaking blood all over the floor and that one dancer's very concerned? <laughs> and Fat Tina just keeps going, dance! Yeah. Dance! <laughs> 
take another towel with you. <laughs> She's so good. It's, I, oh, man. That bitch lost a lot of blood. You can die from losing that much blood. Dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the guy who was like, oh, everyone gets cut. He's just staring at her. And he's like, you got to hold it above your heart. So weird. No one's reactions in this film are authentic, which I think is one of the other reasons it's both campy, but also completely unconvincing. <laughs> yes. Did you, did either of you watch the blooper reel that's on the yes, special features? No. Mm-hmm. It is so humorless. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. There's just awkward silences. Nobody laughs at any of, the, at, of their own bloops. <laughs> Wait, but there is um the one guy when they keep trying to say Jennifer Tolan's he name. saying Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My queen. And the, no, it's like a minute and a half blooper reel and 30 seconds of it is this guy who keeps saying Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> and then it infects the crew and yeah. then the other guy says Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> oh and God, they said her I name three it. times and she's summoned. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, little known fact, that possum is actually voiced by Jennifer Tilly. Oh, yum, 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 yum. No, that is actually Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> yeah. My queen, my possum queen. But, like, Lohan is only in one of the bloopers, and it's the last one, and it's her reading her story in the class, and then, like, she finishes, and the director doesn't call cut. So she's just standing there like, are we just going to keep rolling? Like- yeah, and it's the same thing, too. The, there's a blooper of her uh, asking Susan to put the flowers, the blue flowers. Yes! The and then they, they just keep rolling as she tries to get up the stairs with her crutches, <laughs> and she doesn't know what to do. So that just tells me it was a humorless set. They were completely unsupported by this director, who just yeah. didn't know what he was doing. Well, he was too busy advising the set decorator and the props master to be like, no, we need blue in that corner. No, we need her ring. Okay, somebody's got to go like put these roses into blue water so that they can soak it up. And we need a blue glass art sword. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> If I could get a commemorative copy of that, like, Christmas is coming up, people, and it's on my Amazon wish list. But, like, <laughs> where did he get a blue coffin? Okay, yeah. It's very Where did Snow he get the White. blue coffin? Where did he get the blue knife? Why does he just have hundreds of prosthetic limbs? No, I was asking that too, because he kills the girls. He doesn't give them prosthetics. He's a fucking piano teacher. (laughs) Why does he have an interest in any of them? I feel like you either need to make blown glass weapons that are blue (laughs) or have a prosthetic collection. You don't get both. Yeah. It's called Michelle Visage. Edit. Yeah. (laughs) He should be a contestant on that Netflix glass-blowing reality TV show, as opposed to a murder. Like, really, he should have directed his talents into a more productive way. Yes, turn it to good. I will say, though, that even though the prosthetic limbs hanging from the ceiling of his lair don't make any sense, I do like the tableau when he's getting killed, and he's like hanging on to the legs for some reason and it's just like almost like a crucifixion but not really because it's prosthetic legs and it just kind of holds them there for a second it's really i think it's one pretty shot do you think the writer was trying to go a little silence of the lambs with this yes i noticed there's that sequence of dakota going up to the other victim's bedroom and looking at what what makes them similar very clarice starling looking at what's her name's bedroom when she was figuring out buffalo bill and then even that last sequence of her going down in the basement by herself. Yeah. It's like, oh, they think they're fancy. Oh, no, I think both the screenwriter and the director think that they are super fucking fancy. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you look at the names that get dropped in a lot of the reviews, people are like, 
Yeah, they're drawing from Hitchcock. Yeah, they're drawing from De Palma. Yeah, you know, they're they're trying to do all this giallo grindhouse stuff. Maybe a little bit of Lynch, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are like, mm. oh, so you stayed up late, smoked a bowl, watched Twin Peaks, and then you thought that you could... Do it. Do this, right? <laughs> also, like, in terms of the writing, every character in the script and in the credits has a full first and last name. So it's like, he really was, like, world-building with Yeah, this. he was really committed. <laughs> but you know what, though? For every, like, stupid part, I, there are moments of, I'm not gonna say brilliance, because it's, like, overselling it, but, like, nice, subtle moments. I really liked the scene when Dakota was standing in the mirror pretending to be Aubrey. It was very, like, Buffy Faith when they do that switcheroo in season four. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a good, like, little moment. I wish we had more of that. I was really impressed by Aubrey, and this actually, I guess, goes back to me liking an aspect of the script. I was impressed by her telling that boy, oh, what, you thought because you bought me a flower that I'm going to date you or fuck you now? Yeah. Well, I was like, good for you, little feminist in the making. And I know that the script calls it out, but are blue roses that common to come by? No. It's not a thing. (laughs) Okay. It's not a thing. (laughs) Like, if you're goth, you do black roses, but blue roses, that's never been a thing. And it definitely would not be that vibrant a color. No, no that's supposed. Yeah. No, the CGI on the petals, though, like especially when they're falling into the creek, <laughs> into the mirror. <laughs> no, and it's like Disney music. And I, I wanted to point out the composer because I, I know we like touched on how fucking ridiculous the music is. The composer's previous credits, um, besides in the '90s, he did Flipper, the Elijah Wood movie. Back to Elijah Wood. Jesus. The Uma Thurman Avengers adaptation. Oh, I love that I love movie. that one. Yeah, I love that they you. dress up in furry costumes at the end. Oh, it's so good. But wait. So now we're going into the 2000s. We've got Holes. We have Uptown Girls. Ooh, the Olsen twins. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, thematic twins. Wait, no, Uptown <laughs> Girls is Brittany Murphy. Not... God damn it. God damn it, Joe. That's oh, Brittany R. Murphy and Dakota Fanning. R.I.P. I know. I, oh god, gone too soon. Actually, yeah, she died in 09, I think. Anyway, also, lots of direct-to-DVD Disney sequels. Like, a lot, a lot of them. American Dad, 80 episodes, and 9 episodes of The Orville. So he's now jumped on the Seth MacFarlane train. But none of that lends itself to this type of movie. Well, Flipper, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I mean, they do have that hammerhead shark in there during the suspenseful scenes. And what do they call the one-armed stripper in Desperate Living? Flipper. <laughs> if you could see my eyes right now. <laughs> okay, how much of this do you think would have been ironed out had they had a proper amount of time between the end of shooting and releasing this film several months later? Maybe these were last minute choices, poor editing decisions, because they literally just ran out of time. I mean, if you gave Disney 10 years to CGI the whole thing and make a live action Lion King, I know who killed me. (laughs) Oh my god, remake, I know who killed me, but with lions. Wait, no, no. (laughs) What if so in 20 years, the new trend is going to be taking live action movies and remaking them as cartoons? Oh. So you make a cartoon, I know who killed me. I could okay. say this is like a sexy anime. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, I went, uh, I went. Who framed Roger Rabbit? <laughs> Jessica Rabbit with like her with her legs in the dress and little uh, baby Huey or whatever. <laughs> That's a crossover. And speaking to your editing, because I wanted to point this out too. Again, doesn't really match up with what we're watching. The editor Lawrence Jordan, he did Fallen, the Denzel Washington movie, which makes sense. But then he did. Jack Frost, the Michael Keaton movie, not the Killer Snowman movie. Deuce oh God, Bigelow. That's like the second time that movie has come out. Wait, is that where he's like reincarnated as a as snowman, a snowman to it's watch a over snowboard. his kids? Yes, and it's really <laughs> bad. 
<laughs> but then, and this is going to explain the editing choices of this movie, Deuce Bigelow, uh, Furry oh. Vengeance, which is the Brendan Fraser Animals Attack family movie, and Fifty Shades of Black, the Marlon Wayans Fifty Shades of Grey spoof. So Wait. he cut this like a comedy film. Yes. That's hilarious. And Deuce Bigelow also has a Sans Lamb sequence in it. Oh my god, it's all coming together! <laughs> oh my god, tie the red string, we've solved this case. <laughs> I know who killed me! Like, whoever hires me. Making... <laughs> Y'all, I know who killed me. I mean, the title of the movie doesn't make any sense. And that's why it's so good! <laughs> How did they get Art Bell to do this? Y'all, I don't even know who that is. I mean, I know who he is in this movie, like, but I guess he's So that's who he is in real life. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly who he is. He does, like, weird conspiracy theory videos. I grew up listening every night to Coast to Coast AM, which was his radio show, where people call in and they say, like, Hi, my name's Dakota. I was in the shower. My arm (laughs) fell off. I don't understand why it happened. And then he would just talk to them and explore all the, the unexplained... So he's like, he's like kind of a celebrity in like the ghost, spooky, scary, late night trucker sector. Right. How often was he seen wearing a tinfoil hat? Uh, just every day of his life. Okay, good, good, good. Don't y'all love though too, like the, cause you know, like every movie has its obligatory uh, Google search, um, you know, that replaces the <laughs> microfiche. And mm-hmm. she's like on Ask Jeeves <laughs> looking up. So like, good. Unexplained bleeding. <laughs> I really appreciated that. I don't think it's even Ask Jeeves. I think it's Ask.com. Ask.com, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, if you say naturally. it really quickly, sounds like Ask.com. Not saying, oh, it does. Not saying anything. I mean, she probably will be going to Ask.com. Oh, I wonder if that's a website. Y'all continue. Okay. I'm gonna Here's do some the research. real question <laughs> Why did Dakota bone Jared, who is, you know, walking white bread without the crust? When the gardener was right there, and he was obviously into her predecessor because he was stroking that log like it was a big old D. Where did he even go? Well, he, no, he was in that first scene, and then the second scene, he drove by, and then he vanished, and then he's that? gone. Yeah, but both him and Jared, because Jared, once he, um, you know, sneaks her out of the house, he's also gone from the movie. I don't think he does. He make a return? He does not, and neither do the FBI agents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And editing, editing, <laughs> <laughs> not just filmmaking, editing. Um, well, and I okay, not entirely related, but I was I felt very um, ripped off that we get a wood chipper tease and there's no wood mm. chipper murder. Yeah, well, it's a red herring that maybe the landscaper is the killer. Yeah, yeah, which and the, he looked so familiar to me, and I couldn't find out who he was. Oh, really? I had him originally in the cast oh, you did? list. Give me a second, I'll look it up. What was that what was that nipple scorpion tattoo thing? I don't know. It was like a tribal tattoo just for his nipple. Well, do you think though <laughs> yes. that it was actually the actor's tattoo or if it was a creative choice on the film set? Oh, the director's like, we need to make this guy sexy. <laughs> but but a little dangerous. I mean he he was a very hot man, but he also had this air of like a serial killer about him that might have made him more attractive to me. Oh, uh, I'm from a small town. I'm into a skis ball. Yeah. What? Like nice white trash? So yeah. I have looked him up. His name is Rodney Rowland. You may have seen him in such things as the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Sixth Day. He appeared on an episode of The X-Files. Here's where it gets interesting. Trace, you would know him because he is one of the Fitzpatrick brothers. Oh, in um, Veronica Mars? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> but... Oh. 
He also appeared on Grey's Anatomy. So that's Sean Delane connection mm-hmm. that we actually just fictitiously brought into this episode for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. So that's there. But the other actual funny thing is that he was in one episode of the revival of Twin Peaks. Oh, huh. wow. Well, Veronica Mars is definitely where I know him from. I would know that muggy face anywhere. Was yeah. he the tree on Twin Peaks? <laughs> he was. He was the peak. Yeah. He was one of the Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why are there so many jokes about personification in this episode? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have so many highlighted notes. I'm just like... I, I just have like know. a lot of lines where I was like, oh, that's funny. He didn't count on her will to live. I hope the investigation doesn't interfere with bingo night. I don't I take like cats. The most, I take the most notes whenever it's a terrible movie. Well, because it's just so bizarre. Oh, I also really liked the line when the physical therapist was like, excellent, you'll be back on the dance floor in no time, Dakota. It's like, okay. Yeah, he was, well, he was the only one that was nice to her, that he saw mm-hmm. her, you know? Yeah, the only one that was not judging her for maybe being a stripper because again some of them don't believe that she was actually a stripper even though they Mm -hmm. could just go to the strip club and talk to people yeah hey fat tina i like how no one actually follows up on any of those aspects of her life the fbi lady is just like she's fucking lying she just made this up she doesn't want to tell us the truth and it's like you could actually check her alibi you could double check all of this i also love that they do a dna test to prove that she isn't an identical twin even though identical twins have the same dna yeah yeah <laughs> well you said they're like oh their dna matches so th- this she is she, it, it's that that's aubrey like she's lying yeah it's like maybe you should fingerprint her <laughs> p.s to speak of those fbi agents because the woman in it who i don't know her but she was like, she was made famous for being on the jamie fox show playing someone named fancy Hmm. She looked so familiar, and I don't think I've seen anything in her filmography yet. She looks so familiar. Yeah, I don't, but again, like you, another comedy. I mean, granted, she's done things like she was in NYPD Blue way back when too. And but like, she's known for comedy. It's just uh. Yeah. So this movie was meant to be a comedy. Oh my god, this movie actually was meant to be camp. That's what I'm saying, though. Based on the entire creative team, who don't have backgrounds and again i'm not saying that oh if you've never made a horror or a thriller before like you shouldn't do it like i mean you know look at what we have now we have a bunch of comedy people coming into horror but they're trying to do horror as opposed to like make it funny i mean minus the bond me scene in halloween (laughs) but 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 this doesn't make a lot of sense to me like even the director well i haven't seen the lost the jack ketchum adaptation but i know that i haven't either Ketchup is typically like a more serious tale, so maybe that movie, maybe that movie is what got him this role. I thought he worked on like the Toolbox Murders, the remake of that one or something oh. too, didn't he? Well, if he did, he didn't direct it. That was just a directing credit from him. Yeah, okay. Because Toby Hooper did that one. Yeah. The remake? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. With Angela Bettis? No, I don't actually know it. I just saw it. Oh, it's it's kind of fun. It's Angela Bettis and Drusilla, Juliet Lando. Yeah, yeah. Juliet Lando. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying is we should have watched that movie. <laughs> no, no, no. We should have watched this one. I think we watched the right movie. Yeah, we watched the right one. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Uh, I'm looking at all my highlights. Are they highlights or lowlights? No, I, I highlighted them. <laughs> Don't get it. <laughs> She's so precious. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, it's, my talent's gone to my head because I just won the Young Artist Competition Award, which apparently means that I'm fit for anything. I'm the greatest musician ever, ever invented. It's true, <laughs> and I know this because the shot opens with a 
image of your foot playing the piano and I can tell immediately this bitch is a prodigy. I appreciate that she knows that, you know, she has to she has to stop doing piano so that she can focus on writing because the piano takes like one, you know, an hour a week. I feel like piano people would practice quite a lot, but she clearly doesn't actually have an interest in it. No, why is she playing piano? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But she clearly played enough to win the Young Artist Competition Award thing. Why isn't it like a writing teacher? I mean, the choice of villain in this film, if we can even call him that, he's a character who's introduced in this first scene and then not glimpsed again until we go to his house to catch him. <laughs> and then you go, oh, it was him because he was wearing those weird sunglasses in that first scene. He also had a blue sapphire ring. Oh, yeah. oh that, he, that he blew himself. Yes, he blew himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, wait, alternate title of the movie. <laughs> I blew myself. I blew myself. Oh, oh my! Oh, that's gonna be our episode subtitle for this. I know who blew me. <laughs> I knew who blew me. <laughs> also, better movie. Slash, I may have watched that this weekend. <laughs> but like, that's your giallo aspect, though, because he he's men he's in one scene, never mentioned again, and then boom, like he reappears, has this motive that. I guess, kind of holds water? It's not even explained. Like, we never get the confirmation that other girls who are being murdered are being murdered because of their ties to the piano guy. No, 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 because Jennifer Tolan had the blue ribbon on her, her on her gravestone. Because I think she also won the Young Artist Awards competition. Oh, my. Yes, yes, that's, how, that's you... how they solved the riddle. <laughs> it's just like, we have a town curfew, but it really only applies to the girls in this small town who have won the blue... <laughs> Medal an award for piano playing. All the other girls are fine, and it just makes it that much more uh, incendiary that he's just leaving these medals at his victims' <laughs> graves. And the cops, nobody has noticed any of this. No, because they're too busy hanging up their transparencies in their brick FBI building. Yeah, when he's burying Aubrey, is it in a grave? Is is it at her gravestone, or is it like in a empty? field like where is it i deduced that it was behind his house because aubrey or sorry dakota with her bum leg with no juice manages to walk up the hill and just be at the gravesite mm-hmm. yes yeah, it's, it's a sovereign land of the um the owl and the possum yes oh my god <laughs> fucking, fucking owl <laughs> so funny so really the animals are the victims here because this is a film that's loaded with secret animal cameos. We've got the possum. We've got the hairless cat. That oh, fucking yes. cat. That little <laughs> pussy. Oh, so cute. No, no. I wrote, mom is holding this disgusting hairless cat <laughs> with a blue collar. Oh. With a blue collar. Of course. Oh. I know who purred me. <laughs> Ugh. No offense to any listeners that have hairless cats. I just like that... It, the the texture of the skin feels not pleasant to me. Don't you want like a little rat Dobby of your own? <laughs> oh, that's a great comparison, Dobby. Listen, at least you're you're here for the possum. Right? I am. No, I I mean, y'all, that possum was so cute. It was just it was a little so adorable. Cute. Can people have possums as pets? I don't think so. I have a shed full of them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like possums are infested with rabies. Oh, maybe Listen, just the one kind. You say rabies, I say precious dance. memories. <laughs> yeah, I say dance. Yeah. <laughs> so, do we think this is then the movie that essentially killed Lindsay Lohan's career? 
Because, like, she hasn't, like, she did that movie Labor Pains. I think that was her next movie. I think it was two years after this. Um, well, I don't know how you can say her career is dead when she was in The Canyons with James Dean. I haven't seen it. Directed by Paul Schrader yeah. and written That's by a... Brett Easton Ellis. The best, my favorite piece of investigative journalism of all time. Like, The New Yorker or New York Times did this gigantic expose all about the behind the scenes of that movie and what it was like working with Lindsay. It was amazing. Because Schrader didn't like her. Like, didn't they not get along? Yeah, no. He had some huge problem or something. I don't know. But he's also a nightmare. Yeah. That's just a nightmare cast, right? Like, yeah. when James Dean is probably the person who's acting civil on that set, like, it's probably not a good thing. Yeah, when you're between Bretty Sinellis and James Dean, that's a symphony of horror. <laughs> so, really random funny story about Paul Schrader, though. So, he had a movie premiere at South by Southwest a couple years ago. I think it was, like, a Willem Dafoe movie. It was called... Ah, Dafoe. Wait. Oh, it's it was called Dog Eat Dog. Dog Eat Dog. Oh, fuck yes, that. Nicholas Cage and Willem Dafoe. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... Apparently it's not very good. But when it was coming out, the press people were reaching out. And it was um, it was me and my husband covering South by at the time. And the press people, they just send you emails. And they sent one to my husband that was like, do you want to uh, interview Paul Schrader? And he was like, no. And, <laughs> and, and the press person replied and was like, what do you mean? You don't want to interview renowned, prestigious director Paul Schrader? What is wrong with you? <laughs> was the press person Paul Schrader? I don't know. Was the press person... Dina Lohan. But it was so funny because, <laughs> to be honest, I didn't know who Paul Schrader was. I had seen Taxi Driver. I didn't connect it with him. You know, American Gigolo, Raging Bull, blah, blah, blah. But, like, none of that would have made me be like, yeah, I want to interview him because those aren't really the kind of movies that I, like, care about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also, like, the best movies of your career are well in the rearview mirror <laughs> at this point. Yeah, and you wrote them. Yeah. yeah. Now he's directing. <laughs> yeah and i mean like granted he, he directed he directed yeah he directed the the exorcist prequel like one version of them yeah originally but he oh, did that right he did that ethan hawk movie last year first reform that got really like rave reviews yes hmm. i think that was his big comeback right yeah and i saw it and i'm in the minority and i was very much like oh i don't know but i might need to see it again hmm. i still want to see the canyons i still haven't I do seen too. it i'm really intrigued by it so it was my worst film of the year. Really? Now, wait, yes. wait, wait, though. Joe's kind of a dick. So <laughs> I... <laughs> but, like, worst film in all the right ways. Like... Okay. But see, the, the, I don't think it should qualify for your worst if that's... Because if, if you enjoy it, even though it might technically be the worst movie, I don't think it earns that title of being the worst. Oh, no. It absolutely does. Ugh. It's kind of a travesty on... Well, honestly, I would say it would make a great double bill with this film. Oh, I'm in then. I can't wait. Is Lohan good in it? No, she's actually really good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, she, I'm pretty sure, is high as fuck the entire movie. But see, though, that's really sad, though, because that's 2013, so they probably filmed it in 2012. Like, <sighs> I feel very bad for her, and I feel like the public scrutiny on her life... I mean, again, it's a real Britney Spears situation, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. people won't leave her the fuck alone to just deal with her shit. And it just makes me really sad. 
Well, yeah, I mean, before we started the podcast off air, we were talking about how this is kind of that time period, right? When it was all of these starlets behaving badly, and it was who can sell the most tabloids getting crotchless panty shots of Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears, and Amanda Bynes was like circling the drain somewhere off in the corner. And... Not, no, she didn't really, Amanda Bynes didn't really go off until right after Easy A, which I think was 2009. Mm-hmm. When she threw her bong out the window yeah and she wanted <laughs> drake like to murder her pussy this. i'm talking yeah. like a five-year period well because what i was thinking about 0607 because that's kind of when facebook started becoming like a big thing so really when social media itself started taking off with the advent of facebook yeah and i'm wondering if maybe that was a real big factor in a lot of these you know pop stars and female celebrities because again it's a lot of female celebrities oh, what yeah. male celebrities had this issue Oh, I guarantee a bunch of them do, but nobody gives a shit because we love to tear down girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's misogyny is entirely what because like that that it's not just pop stars or like like hot messes like Anne ha- that was happening to Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. The world hates women. It's true. All those crotchless panty shots of Anne Hathaway. God, they just would <clears throat> not leave her alone. I remember the Anne Hathaway backlash, but and again, because like when Anne Hathaway was getting the backlash, that was when Jennifer Lawrence was in, and everyone was like, oh, "I love Jennifer Lawrence," but then like what three years later, people hate Jennifer Lawrence because they think she's mm-hmm. too fake. It's yeah. like an endless cycle, and I will tell y'all, I fucking love Anne Hathaway, and I fucking love Jennifer Lawrence. So, oh, I love, I love all of them. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> when was her? Okay, I was shocked too seeing that. I know who killed me was 2007. It was only three years after Mean Girls, so that says mm-hmm. a lot can happen in a yeah. little bit of time. Yeah. When when was the thinking of films that took her down? When was the Liz Taylor made for TV movie? 2012. Yeah. Okay. Well, but that's so that was a year before the Canyons came out. Now yeah. I don't know if the Canyons that was because again, like you know, you had the 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 Paul. Nah, the John Lennon movie that was, you know, filmed in 06, released two years later. I don't know if the Canyons had a similar thing where it was maybe filmed before and released later or if it was pretty tight. I don't know. It might have. I can't recall if it sat on the shelf or anything. Because I know, I mean, like you're not selling that film on James Dean. Like, <sighs> oh, hey, we cast this male porn star in Rapist. his theatrical debut. It's like, no, I don't think that's getting butts in seats or at least... It would get me in there. (laughs) I mean, it didn't get me in there, but I mean, had they marketed it like that, I might have done it. But I was thinking because then, let's say, you know, they did film The Canyons in 2012. That would have been around the time when Liz and Dick, which was the name of that movie, was getting released. Yeah. And I don't think she had very good reception for playing Elizabeth Taylor. No, she did not. So, you know, oh, actually, I'm looking. In August 2013, just days after Lohan left rehab, The Canyons was released. So... God, I didn't realize she was still in rehab that late. Oh, I think she's been in and out for quite a number of years. Yeah, because it was like kind of post the canyons when she kind of disappeared and went went the yeah. whole expat route, right? Yeah. But you know, it always... I'm going to go back to my the, the beginning of my oral history. It seems to be tied whenever she has a project that doesn't do well. Because hmm. the first one we had, Just My Luck, and that's kind of when it started going down. And then, yeah, it's like everything is like, oh, like, just after rehab, this movie came out. And then she get into rehab again, and blah, blah, blah. So maybe she doesn't handle criticism well? Well, I think it's probably that and the combination of what you mentioned earlier, social media. So, you know, she's not allowed to have a bad reaction if a movie tanks. I mean, her option would be to go into obscurity or in her case, it's probably go into rehab for a month, a couple months. But it also then spirals because every single time something doesn't do well, she becomes harder to cast because she's 
box office poison. She's got bad behavior. She's in and out of rehab. She's got drug problems. Like at this point, it's a snowball effect. Well, I don't know how you would ever come back from something like this. Well, you you do what Amanda Bynes did and you leave. <laughs> you literally yeah. get wiped off the earth for a couple mm-hmm. years. You go to fashion school. You come back and you do one awkward interview and you're just back all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Is she even making movies again though? Mm, no, she. I think she said it in. Oh, if y'all haven't seen it though, y'all should go. It's from like I think two years ago. It's an interview with some like online fashion vlog. Oh, oh yeah, so good. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was the funniest. This is how you know that we're all queers. We're like, oh, that Amanda Bynes fashion interview. Yeah, yeah. We all read it. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it when they ask her about the Drake tweet? She's like, well, I was really like, high. I was really <laughs> high, and I wanted him to fuck me. <laughs> it's like what she said. <laughs> I mean, girl, but, same. No, I I appreciate that candor, and just like what you mentioned, Joe, how, you know, how like if a movie's bad, you know, the people promoting it, they can't be honest about it. They have to go out there and fucking fake it, even if it's a piece of shit movie. Yeah. And wouldn't it be nice if that wasn't the case? If people could just be like, "Yeah, it's not very good." I feel like every once in a while they will, but it's a movie that's really unimportant. Hmm. I mean, like. You could probably get away with saying something like that about the canyons because it ultimately doesn't matter. And very few no, people are going to see it. Because it's prestigious filmmaker Paul Schrader. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's just dying to interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sweet Jesus. Filmmaking. <laughs> Screenwriting. <laughs> editing. Cinematography. Composing. This movie's got it all. <laughs> It's the Parent Trap 2! <laughs> this movie does have all of those things. They are present in this movie. To questionable extent and success levels, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is a movie that exists. It is, indeed. It's a movie that people can revisit. It honestly is not as bad as people made it out to be. It's, it was a fascinating journey to go back and reread a bunch of those early critiques. So many people said that the worst part about this movie was Lohan. And I oh. I would staunchly disagree with that. I think she's Same. easily one of the best things about the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's what makes it memorable. That's like, I'm shocked hearing that this one more Razzies than Battlefield Earth, which is objectively way worse of a movie than this is. Yeah. I mean, the Razzies are beyond stupid in the way that they take down easy films to go after that's the thing i mean even showgirls which i mean like come on there was there was a worse movie in 1995 than showgirls surely and it's a classic Mm -hmm. (laughs) absolutely is all right well do we have any final thoughts on i know who killed me do you want to play a game well no i mean i i meant before we i meant before we get to the game uh possum says no okay I love that possum. I will say I do wish that her uh, leg also worked as an iPod dock. Right. I wish she had killed him with the leg. It, yeah, just pick it, it up and smack him with it. At least it off. Yeah. Yeah, that'd yeah. be nice. Or thrown him in the wood chipper. Yeah. Because right? <laughs> maybe the gardener, that's where the gardener disappeared to. Yeah. The landscaper was off doing his house and the wood chipper <laughs> was right there. Yeah. He just has that Protestant work ethic. I would say, if you've never seen this movie, I actually would recommend watching it. It's just a fascinating film. All of its failures and flaws, like, taken into account. I'm so puzzled by what it wants to be. I don't think it knows what it wants to be. I would love for there to be, like, a fucking E! True Hollywood story, like, expose about the making of this movie. I would... Criterion, get your hands on this shit. All right. Yeah, get drunk, have a friend over, put it on, get ready for the new Simple Life season with Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan. I can't wait! (laughs) I think, didn't Hilton though, she already denied that. She's like, that's not happening. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, no, I'm gonna kill myself. 
Well, I think, I think Hilton denied that. Oh, my whole world is falling apart. I know. I know, because that would be so fun. Oh no, my arm fell off. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, it's just a fat sausage finger. (laughs) That was also some really questionable CGI when her finger fell off. Why did she try sewing it back on? Oh, I love how they give that excuse because it's just like, uh, the doctor's for rich people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because this film is also a very staunch class critique. Yes, it is. Dakota makes no qualms about how she is poor and she was brought up outside of the system and how she doesn't have the wealth and privilege to act like a fancy white girl. Mm -hmm. There's something there. Yeah. Because if you're rich and you're and you're white, you get that purple guitar in the corner, which is, you know, symbolic of the two identities merging and forming the color purple. Oh, my God. That was literally one of the IMDb trivia. I quit. It's a fucking movie. <laughs> so, yeah. Watch I Know Who Killed Me. <laughs> it, it's, it's an experience. It's something. Got a cute possum. Oh, that possum. Thank God for that possum. Makes everything <laughs> worth it. <laughs> okay, so originally i thought of a couple of different games so it was tempting to say what would your stripper name be but i feel like we've already kind of done that because i think we did a drag name version in one of the early episodes alicia key bumps right here there we go i can't remember mine and i don't care to remember mine okay the other one was maybe tempting to ask what your signature color would be if you had to incorporate it into literally every outfit that you ever wore from now on but I feel like we can do better than that still. Okay, but em- em- emerald green for me. Okay. Neon gray. What? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Monochromatic. Thank you. Uh, okay. So what I ended up settling on is a game called Fix This Movie. What is one thing that you could have done to improve the film? And please note that don't make it is not an option. Never. No, I would still make this movie with like 100%. But (laughs) I don't know if this is an easy out or what, but I would honestly say, which your director, man, not that I think Chris Syvertson is ever going to listen to this episode, but I just don't. I think we've come across a lot of films in this podcast where I feel like the directors are out of their element and they're afraid to tell their actors when they're not doing something they want to do. Uh, that, that they that they want them to do because they're too much of a pussy to like say anything they just let the actors do what they think they should be doing rather than actually directing them and so i think that this movie could have used someone who could talk to their actors more just julia ormond steamrolling over this director no <laughs> i will scrub more furiously <laughs> <laughs> okay so change the director anthony what do you think I think, you know, I'm going to follow your note from earlier, and I want to see Celine Dion in this film. Celine Dion, <laughs> and then every other character that is not Susan or Dakota or Aubrey, I want to see played by that possum. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's... The killer oh is the possum. No, yes. when Disney remakes this as a cartoon, it's actually with animals, and the possum is Lindsay Lohan's character. Oh, and right. her little tail falls off. Yes. Yeah. It's just like a robot tail that plays music. I know we didn't talk about this too, but when they're in the when when uh, Jared's trying to fuck her in the classroom, they're dissecting a worm and they're making a comment. It's like it's this symbolism of like, oh, the worm is actually going to be Lindsay Lohan because he's like, if you cut off if you cut a worm in half, does it like stay alive and make two worms? It's 
It's foreshadowing. It's real deep. <laughs> foreshadowing. Oh, film technology. <laughs> okay, so what? What about Jared wanting to feel up her cooch? I mean, I oh, I was just saying the no, nothing about that. I was just trying to set the scene of where the worm dissection was. Oh, oh that's okay. an entry point. The vital yeah. entry of worm dissection. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Joey, what is your fix? Uh, I mean, for sure, you didn't think of a fucking answer, did you? For sure, practicality. <laughs> I would follow my own advice from earlier, and I would have an explanation for why they why the stigmata hasn't occurred earlier, just as a way to close at least one of the gaping plot holes in this movie. But aren't the plot holes part of its charm? I actually find that this film is mostly, if not entirely, enjoyable. Up until the point where she starts looking at the stigmata stuff. And then at that point, for me, that's when it gets kind of boring and it goes off the rails. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm actually fully on board up until that point. Because there's still the question of, okay, is she lying? Are there two of them? What is the connection? And then as soon as she goes into the stigmata stuff, that's when we start getting the dumb dream sequences. That's where we get the CGI pedals going into that fucking lake through the mirror. Like, it's goes off the rails for me there all right well teach their own i guess yeah the mirror narnia bit was a bit weird yeah if only she had had a fawn to guide her through <laughs> that'll be in the, the disney in, in disney's the animated, disney animated version <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> mr tumnus uh, although they already live action remakes that movie too fuck yes oh god but with tilda and tilda's the killer in the new one yes Obviously. live action tilda Yes. Like who framed Roger Rabbit. But wait, what kind of animal, like, what's the motive? Because the animals aren't playing piano. They could be. Oh, that'd be so cute. <laughs> Touche. Okay, well, can I go to housekeeping? Go for it. Okay. That'll wrap up I Know Who Killed Me. But before we announce what we're covering next week, Anthony, plug away. What do you want to talk about? Oh, well, thank you. Oh, well, uh... I'm so happy to be featured here on Horror Queers, and uh, you can find me on a sister podcast, Gay Lords of Darkness, that I co-host with the wonderful Stacy Ponder of Final Girl. And mm-hmm. you can find us at gaylordsofdarkness.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And when I'm not doing that, I also run the United States only, all exclusively LGBTQ plus horror film screening series, where we do drag pre-shows and burlesque pre-shows before the films that we show, called Queer Horror here in Portland, Oregon, at the historic Hollywood Theater. And you can find out about that at Queer Horror PDX on Instagram and at queer-horror.com. I will say that um, whenever you bring up what your programming is on Gay Lords of Darkness, I get so jealous because I'm just like that. Ugh. Like, because we have the Alamo Draft House here and sometimes, like, they do some stuff that, like, you know, really goes for, like, what I want. But a lot of your programming that I've seen, like, it's just, ugh, it's so perfect. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, let me tell you, when you fill 400 queers in an old 92-year-old <laughs> movie house watching, like, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2 on 35mm, uh-huh. oh, it's, a, it's, my, it's like church, but good. I yeah. love it. Sounds yeah. amazing. So good. But yeah, so um, if you want to reach us on Twitter, you can reach me. Reached me. You can reach me at Traced Thurman. And if you want to know who killed me, you can find me on Twitter at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. 
And if you're tweeting about the podcast, please be sure to use the hashtag HorrorQueers in your tweets. Uh, you can also email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page. Uh, we'd also love it if you go to iTunes right now and leave us a rating or a review. Only if it's good, though. And uh, if you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash HorrorQueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes featuring uh, recent horror films like It Chapter 2 and Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. Joe, what are mm-hmm. we covering next week? All right, so the camp marathon rolls on, but we're going from trashy camp to actually good camp. So we're going to be talking about Netflix's The Perfection. (gasps) Yes, and I did want to point out that this is actually a Patreon-exclusive episode, although it's no longer exclusive anymore, that we already released back in May, but we're releasing it as a teaser to entice people to visit our Patreon also, we were recording during uh, Joe and I are both at TIFF, and well, Joe's at TIFF, and then we're both at Fantastic Fest for the pretty much the last three weeks of September, so we didn't have time to record a new episode. We needed to take a fucking break. <laughs> Jesus Christ, people. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, but on that note, I think we can cross out I Know Who Killed Me. Yes, and cross out the possums that are horror queers. This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.